1: Hello, and welcome to the Asian Madness Podcast. Again, thanks again for tuning in, and for being here. We're more than halfway through 2022, and if this year hasn't been great yet, don't worry, we still got halfway to go. No need to wait for new years to make resolutions. Every day is a new day and a new start. So, allow me to be honest for one second here. I am getting a bit tired of talking about women dying at the hands of men, and I'm sure some of you are feeling the same way. If you look back at these recent episodes, Jyoti Singh, Tara Ferris, and all these women murdered by Lee chunje they all have a similar vibe, but if you think about it, most murders and such cases we hear about are committed by men, and in turn, lots of these victims are women. It's kind of hard to pull oneself out of that equation so after the next episode i plan on taking a quick break from these men murdering women cases so today's case is a suggestion from a listener so thank you deb for suggesting this one i have never heard of this case and after looking into the details i am a bit shocked that i had not heard of it before obviously all cases are frustrating But take some time to listen to this one, and you will get what I mean. So, marriage. It's cool if you don't believe in marriage. It's a common social norm, but not necessarily made for everyone. For those that do believe in marriage, what do you imagine marriage to be like? Getting to be with your best friend forever? Getting support and love? Having a movie and gaming partner? Yes. I believe it's all that and more, but like most things in life, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Things turn sour, people get bitter, and sometimes it's not anyone's fault, but sometimes someone is to blame. This case is about a hellish marriage between Anthony and Annie, a normal couple based on appearances, but not so much behind closed doors. Her name is Annie Leong, and she was only 38 years old when she was murdered. Let's begin. First, let's go back in time and find out a bit more about this couple, before they got married and before anything bad happened. So Anthony Lair was born sometime around the year 1967 in Singapore. His birth date is unconfirmed, just an estimate, and I must say, The timeline for this case is a little bit messy, and I will explain later. Anthony was the youngest child out of many siblings, and it is believed that he had a pretty difficult childhood. According to online sources, his parents divorced when he was still very young, which seemed to have left a pretty bad taste in his mouth. The circumstances surrounding the divorce are not clear, but it does seem like he held on to some sort of resentment. He also wasn't particularly close to any of his siblings, which could have made things a little harder for him. Everything else from his childhood is either not really mentioned or could have just been not mention worthy, as in nothing really stood out. His academic performance seemed to be pretty average as well, and he ended up dropping out of university. As he was over 18 and no longer in school, it was time for him to take part in Singapore's National Service. It is mandatory for every male citizen and permanent male resident to participate, and if you try to avoid it, you can end up getting fined and or imprisoned. As you may or may not remember, Singapore is very strict with its laws, so none of this should be surprising. So Anthony is set to go away for two years, and while he's away, he decides to turn this two-year government contract into his career, at least for the time being. This is quite a common occurrence. For example, in Taiwan, male citizens who turn 18 and who are not in school also need to serve in a national service, but for a significantly shorter time compared to Singapore. If you graduate from high school and don't have plans for a higher education, it's time to do military things. It's quite common for higher-ups in the military to try and convince people to pursue a military career and many people think of this as them trying to brainwash young people. Generally speaking, young men in Taiwan are not that interested in signing up for military careers. We call this as the quote-unquote sign-it, as in signing the five-year contract to be in the military voluntarily. Many, though, feel like this is something people do when they don't know what else to do with their lives, whether it's due to lack of ambition Education, or whatever else. Obviously, not a blanket statement, but it is an opinion. It's a financially stable job, won't get you rich, but definitely enough to live an okay life. You also get plenty of benefits working in a government branch. This is a bit personal, but my first boyfriend from Taiwan basically became a military man during his year of mandatory national service. His superiors convinced him that this was a good path for him, so he signed up. He basically said that he didn't really have a good shot in the real world anyway due to lack of education and ambition. Oh, well, he's not wrong. But don't feel bad for him. He was an abusive piece of shit, so good riddance. Sorry for the personal side story. The timeline for this case is a bit strange, like I mentioned, and here is why. It was said that the couple, as in Anthony and Annie, met around 1990, when Anthony was 19 and Annie was 15. They supposedly got married 5 years later, which would have been 1995, which would mean Anthony would have been 24 and Annie 20. Are you following so far? So, there are 6 years between 1995 and 2001, the year Annie was murdered which means Anthony would have been around 30 and Annie would have been around 26 when she died, right? Except every single source states that Annie was 30 and Anthony was 34 at the time of the murder, as in in 2001. So, if you work your timeline backwards, that math does not add up. What I'm trying to say is, let's not overly focus on the timeline. Forget the years, and we'll just focus on their ages and the year Annie was murdered. According to sources, Anthony and Annie first met at a church when he was 19 and she was only 15. Is that age gap creepy? Maybe a little bit, especially nowadays. They probably didn't care. Probably wasn't a big deal for many. And for all we know, they could have kept things rather innocent till later since they did meet in a church. The two dated for approximately five years and decided to get married. It can be assumed that he was a military man the whole time he was dating Annie, only deciding to return to civilian life when the two decided to get married. After his years in the military, Anthony tried to establish various different types of businesses. In theory, it sounds great. Shows ambition. Wanting to be your own boss and all that. But Anthony didn't have the knowledge or the skill set. Because his business ventures kept failing one after the other. Not only did they fail, he ended up pretty much bankrupt. As Anthony's businesses kept failing, his wife decided to quit her job working at a bank to help him out. While having banking experience probably gave her a better insight when it came to solving their financial problems, It still feels a bit like an odd choice since her job probably provided them with some financial security and stability. The couple also used up most of their savings to try to settle his debts, which sucked. So the first issue we have between the couple is money problems. Then comes the infidelity issue. While Anthony was busy failing his businesses, he was also busy cheating on his wife, the wife who quit her job to help him out of his own mess. Yep, red flag number two. Not only did he use up all their savings, dragged his wife into unemployment, and now he's got the nerve to be unfaithful. His first affair partner was a woman named Belinda Ho, a bar waitress who ended up trying to help him start a graphics design company. She didn't seem to know that he was a married man at first, but I guess finding out later didn't really change anything he began to bring his lover Belinda back to the home he shared with his wife. And soon after, Annie found out. It was probably extremely devastating, knowing that your husband of just a couple years is cheating on you. The affair lasted for about three years, which is three years too many if you ask me. The affair finally ended when Belinda broke things off with Anthony, presumably because he failed another business that she tried to help him set up. Later on, though, we will find out that there is much more to the story. So now that Anthony and Belinda are no longer an item, Anthony and Annie decided to try and work on their marriage. And by working on their marriage, I mean, they decided to have a child. Annie became pregnant and gave birth to their first and only child around April of 1997, whom they named Evelyn. In all seriousness, Having a baby is not really the best way to save a marriage, especially in a marriage like the one Anthony and Annie had. That's just my opinion, though. If you think having a baby and cutting things off with Belinda the Lover helped the couple, well, sorry to say, but no. Things didn't seem to work out very well for the couple, and their constant arguing over their marriage and money only made things worse. Around the end of the year 1999, Annie had had enough of Anthony's carelessness with money, and probably everything else, so she initiated a separation, taking their daughter with her. Anthony didn't seem very bothered by this, as he continued to start new business ventures and failing them. After a few months into this separation, Annie heard that her husband's business was still not doing so great. At this point, she had been staying with her mother, also returning to work as a real estate agent but maybe she felt guilty for leaving him. Or maybe she felt like she could help him or save him. In the end, she returned to Anthony and did her best, once again, to try and help him. That is, until she found out that he had somehow gotten into another love affair with a woman he was conducting business with. Her name was Marilyn Tan, and once again, there was some sort of financial investment involved in their relationship. Not too shockingly, this short affair didn't last either, but finding out about Marilyn really gave Annie that push she needed to leave him. She decided to take their daughter, Evelyn and move back in with her mother, then file for divorce. Yes, Annie, this is the way. It was about time she did what was best for herself and for her daughter, because Anthony, sure as heck, wasn't doing anything for them. If only separating and divorcing someone was that easy, though. Lawyers get involved, there's money and asset issues, and in this case, a custody battle. Annie took Evelyn with her, and honestly, I would have expected Anthony to be fully on board with the decision. That's one less mouth to feed, one less responsibility, and he would be free to do as he pleased. Fail as many businesses as one can or bring over as many women as he desired. Annie seemed determined to take full custody of their daughter, but would be willing to grant Anthony weekend visits. He was still her father, after all, but to me it still kind of feels very generous of her. It made sense for Annie to have custody as she was the more responsible one. She had other relatives who would be able to help out with the daughter, and she was making money, and she had a job. Anthony had so much debt he simply wasn't fit to take on a child full-time, especially when Annie seemed so much more put together. Not sure if Anthony tried to fight for custody or if he tried but failed. Either way, they ended up agreeing on these terms. The current apartment they were living in was also put on the market, and once they sold it, they would presumably split the money between them. All this divorce and apartment settlement conversations seemed to be going well. Annie was relieved. She was finally able to be rid of this heavy burden. She could finally start her life again. At around 30 years old, she was still quite young. Selling an apartment as a married couple can be tricky, depending on local laws, and regardless, it was a decision that affected both of them. In other words, a lot of communication was needed between the almost-divorced couple. On May Fourteenth, two 2001, Anthony called up Annie, telling her that he had some papers she needed to sign in regards to their apartment. The two decided to meet up around the apartment Annie shared with her family at 11 p.m. at night. Why so late? Good question. Anthony also asked Annie to bring Avelyn along, just so he could spend some extra time with his daughter. And Annie, of course, agreed. 11 p.m. rolls around and as agreed, Anthony, Annie, and Evelyn all met up at the playground near Annie's apartment. She looked over the papers and as she was about ready to sign, she asked Anthony for a pen. Oops, how silly of him. Bringing a bunch of contracts requiring her signature but not bringing a pen along? Not a problem though. Annie invited Anthony up to the apartment, saying that they could have some coffee, discuss some more legal matters, and sign the papers. But Anthony refused, stating that it made no sense as they were going to get divorced anyway, and it didn't look good for him to enter his ex-in-law's apartment. Probably awkward to have to face her family as well. He said he would rather wait for her at the playground so he could spend some quality time with their daughter. Annie didn't really agree with his reasoning, but ultimately accepted it. She then walked back to her apartment complex and took the elevator up to her apartment. What she didn't realize was that someone had been tailing her, watching her every move from the playground to the elevator. The unknown person ran up the stairs once Annie entered the elevator and once she stepped out, she was greeted by someone she had never met in her life. The person grabbed her and tried to cover her mouth. That failed miserably, and Annie began screaming. The unknown person then used their other hand, which was holding a knife, and quickly began stabbing Annie's chest and neck. Clearly they were aiming to kill. Once that person felt the deed was done, they ran off, leaving a mortally wounded Annie by the elevator. The neighbors, Annie's mother, even Anthony, all heard her scream. Annie's mother rushed out of her apartment and, to her dismay, saw that her daughter had been brutally stabbed right outside the door. At about the same time, Anthony rushed up to the apartment with his daughter to see what was happening. The police and the ambulance were called, and Anthony kept himself busy talking to his dying wife, telling her to hang on, to stay awake. It was chaotic and surreal for everyone involved. A few hours after arriving at the hospital, Annie Leong, 30 years of age, was pronounced dead on the early morning hours of May 15, 2001. When you first started listening to this case, did you immediately guess that Anthony would have been the killer? If you did, I get it. Because, same. The odds of a woman getting murdered is not low. So, when they are murdered and happen to have a husband or boyfriend going through divorce and fidelity, more than likely, the husband. So, that's the complicated and surprising twist of this case. Obviously, we have questions now who was the murderer and why? Although her cause of death was quite obvious, an autopsy was still performed, and there were some new findings. She died from, quote, "acute hemorrhage due to stab wounds of heart and lung," unquote. but another stab wound was found in her back. This killer, whoever they were, was somehow either very skilled or got really lucky with where they were stabbing. Annie's funeral was held shortly after. And Anthony seemed to have cried up a storm. He apologized to his wife's coffin, made remarks about being a terrible husband, mentioned his infidelities, and even went as far to call himself a devil, and her an angel. He said he was very regretful, and how if only he had brought a pen that day, none of this would have happened. Everything he said was technically true, because he was a terrible husband. And if he only had brought a pen, maybe Annie wouldn't have had to die? What do you think? Any of this beginning to sound a little suspect? Seeing how this crime was very violent and deadly, the police were immediately put on the case. But after searching for clues and evidence, they essentially came up empty-handed except for one thing. A torn piece of newspaper left at the crime scene. That seems rather random and nondescript, right? But who knows? Anything can be a clue, so might as well keep that for now. With no real evidence and lack of leads, it's only reasonable for the police to turn to their number one suspect, Anthony, or in this case, maybe somebody who knew more about Annie than anybody else. I won't say it's always the spouse, but it's more likely than not. Anthony was taken in for questioning, and he was said to have been acting rather strangely. He was uncooperative and hostile the entire time, which raised some red flags because despite the fact that they were getting divorced, Annie was still his wife and the mother of his child. He also put up quite a show at her funeral. Wouldn't he want to help catch the killer? On the other hand, he could have felt threatened because he knew he was being looked at as a suspect. Or maybe it was the trauma. Either way, his weird response made the police want to look at him even more closely. The police ended two things. They began to look into people Anthony was acquainted with, and they ordered a search warrant for his apartment. On the surface, everything was normal, nothing damning in the apartment like a bloody knife, letter documenting his hatred towards his wife, nothing that could point to his involvement at the very least. But one sharp-eyed officer noticed a stack of newspapers sitting on his desk, and the front page of the stack seemed to have been ripped off. He asked Anthony why it was ripped off and where that page went, but Anthony said he wasn't sure. Can't really consider this a type of evidence, but definitely worth noting. The police also decided to take his computer for further examination, hoping that would lead them to an answer. At the same time, police officers found and brought in two men, or rather, teenagers, in for questioning. These guys weren't friends of Anthony's, but they were acquainted and were seen hanging out with Anthony recently. They were 16-year-old Gavin Ng, and another 15-year-old boy who was never named because he turned out to play a major part in this crime and since he was a minor, his name was censored from the public. This is where the truth begins to unravel. Once the police began asking the two teens about Anthony, the 15-year-old immediately spilled the beans. He was the one who murdered Annie. That was quite shocking. First off, he was only 15. That's pretty much a child to most of us. Secondly, he didn't even know Annie. It's not like he robbed her or had any problems with her. And third of all, why was a random 15-year-old acquainted with Anthony? A guy who's more than double his age. So sit tight. Here's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or so they believe. Let's refer to the 15-year-old as Z because there are way too many people in this case with names starting with A. So, Z first became acquainted with Anthony when he was literally a child, when he was 10. Their interaction was said to have begun because of pets. Z had a hamster, and somewhere along the way, Anthony had a dog. It wasn't until years later when they met again, and this time under a rather weird situation. If you recall, Annie decided to leave Anthony for good around February of 2001. Anthony's financial situation was far from good, which was a problem in and of itself, but it would also affect whether or not he can have custody of his daughter. Despite being a crappy husband, he did seem to genuinely love his daughter, but his situation was simply not ideal. So this led to the plot to murder his wife. If he managed to get her out of the picture, then all his troubles would be solved. He would have sole ownership of the flat, meaning financial security, and he would be able to have his daughter all to himself. Great. Where do you start? Although it was his plan, he had zero intentions of doing it himself. He knew he would be the primary suspect so it made more sense to outsource the job and make sure he had an alibi for when the murder took place. Not long after the couple filed for divorce, Anthony began frequenting a local McDonald's, but not for the fries or the McFlurries. A group of five teenagers slash young men had a habit of hanging outside this McDonald's, and one of the boys happened to be Z. The other four were 16-year-old Gavin Ng, 22-year-old, Xia Zhe Hao, 19-year-old Kong Cha Chong, and 17-year-old Vikneswaran Krishnan. Anthony initially approached the group of boys by relating to them, talking to them about life, or basically saying things that would make somebody look like the cool uncle. Probably sounds creepy and borderline child molester behavior. After getting better acquainted, Anthony began a conversation about hypothetical murder for higher scenarios, and as weird as it sounds, he tried to play it off super casual. He asked if they would ever do it, and how much money they would do it for. As one would expect, the boys didn't take it seriously, so they began throwing random numbers around here and there, just for shits and giggles. Anthony, however, became dead serious, and he basically asked if any of them would be willing to kill his wife for a sum of 100,000 Singaporean dollars, which would have been around 60,000 USD at the time. Is that a lot? It depends. If you randomly find that much money under your couch, then yeah, it's a lot. But if you get paid that much for taking a life? I don't think that's enough and you can't really put a price on a human life. Despite Anthony talking shit about his wife and asking for someone to kill her, no one really took him up on the offer, as they all saw it as a joke. A few more months go by and still, nothing has been done. Maybe Anthony tried to think of other ways during these months and came up with nothing, but the clock was ticking and he needed Annie gone ASAP. Around early May, so probably just days before Annie was killed, Anthony set up a meeting with both Gavin and Z at his apartment. He was kind of getting desperate, and without actually confirming whether or not the boys were up for the job, he began telling them everything about Annie, showing them photos, and even brought out a knife and detailing exactly how to grab someone and how to stab them. He set up a perfect scenario where they would follow Annie up to her apartment Grab her, stab her, and then steal her purse to make it look like a robbery. The boys were understandably getting weirded out, and after leaving the apartment, Gavin talked to another friend of his and decided that, no, this was not something he was comfortable with. Thank God. He was only 16. Probably could have been manipulated by an adult. And that was probably a huge amount of money in his mind. So he was like, nah. I won't be part of this, and proceeded to tell Z not to get involved either. Even if Anthony had everything supposedly thought out, it just wasn't worth the risk. And also, killing is wrong, so... Hopefully that was the reason Gavin said no. Anthony, on the other hand, was still not ready to take no for an answer. And since he was desperate, he approached the other three guys as well, but all of them rejected his generous offer and were quite disturbed by his insistence. Turns out, not everyone was completely convinced Anthony was weird and crazy. Fifteen-year-old Z eventually gave in to Anthony's constant pestering. It didn't seem like he was super eager to do it, but more like he didn't know what to do. Maybe a part of him knew it was wrong, but another part of him trusted Anthony, and since he's known him for five years at least... He thought it would be somehow okay. I'm not 15 and I cannot imagine ever being in this situation, so I cannot tell you for sure what went on in his head. But I'm pretty sure he wasn't entirely a fan of this job. Here's why. After accepting the job of a lifetime, Anthony started setting his plans in motion. On May 10th, attempt murder number one, Anthony gave Z a knife wrapped in newspaper and was instructed to wait and hide out by Annie's apartment. She would arrive at her complex at a specific time at night, and that's when Z would make his move, by following her up the stairs and striking, similar to what actually ended up happening. That plan failed because he was not quick enough, and Annie entered her apartment before he could catch up to her. The second attempt was pretty much the same, and just like the first time, He missed Annie again. It was later explained that Z hesitated a lot. He wanted to back out completely because, frankly speaking, he was a normal 15 year old and didn't want to kill anyone. Maybe this is why he continued to fail in his attempts, because a huge part of him wanted to not do it. So he kept finding ways to fail, consciously or subconsciously. When Anthony sensed that Z was on the verge of quitting, he found more ways to draw the boy back into his messed up plan by giving him pep talks, threatening his family, and even ended up giving him gifts. Like, Anthony went through the whole five love languages trying to rope Z back in. Anthony continued to bombard Z with information, even reminding Z to steal Annie's purse just so it could look like a robbery gone wrong. That's not all though. Anthony's ultimate plan was to have Z steal the purse and then send it to Anthony a few days after, with a note saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. Z spent a couple days avoiding Anthony because he was confused, conflicted, and didn't want to face a situation. I get that. We all feel that way sometimes when we have to deal with uncomfortable situations and requests. But none of that compares to Murder. And this is clearly a situation that should be addressed as quickly as possible. Anthony, of course, was relentless in his pursuit, and a gullible Z finally faced the situation head-on, in the worst way possible. But Z panicked so hard, he forgot to take the purse. So the plan to make Anthony look extra innocent sort of backfired. If the purse was never taken, then the whole robbery angle went out the window. So that's the story according to the boys. Z was said to have felt incredibly remorseful and guilty. Gavin also found out about what Z had done after the fact, so once all the young men were questioned, the police knew they had to arrest and charge Anthony ASAP. Anthony was soon apprehended and charged with aiding and abetting to murder, and Z, though a minor at the time, was still charged with murder. Moving on to the trial, both Anthony and Z were tried together in the High Court in November of 2001. Anthony, of course, claimed he was innocent. Did he plan out how to kill Annie? No. Did he ask the boys to do it? No. Did he want Annie dead? Heavens, no. But did he talk about wanting Annie dead? Well... This he didn't deny, but he insisted that he was joking and had no idea anyone would take it seriously. How many of you have jokingly said things like, Oh my god, I'm going to kill so-and-so. That's probably the majority of us. But do these people end up mysteriously dead? Probably not. Anthony said he genuinely forgot to bring a pen when meeting Annie. And that the only reason he didn't accompany Annie to her apartment was because he wanted to spend alone time with his daughter. To be fair, him not bringing a pen and wanting to hang out with his daughter are not red flags. It makes sense if you look at them independent from the murder. The prosecution team had some pretty solid evidence contradicting everything Anthony said, though. First off, We have multiple witness testimonies from all those teenagers that Anthony approached. So while they could all be liars, there were other things that turned out to be a lot more damning. Remember that stack of newspaper in Anthony's apartment? Specifically the one where the first page was ripped out? Turns out, the ripped piece found at the crime scene was a match for the missing piece in his house. It was ripped out and used to wrap the knife he gave Z. Oops number one. Then we have computer forensics. When the police searched Anthony's apartment months ago, they confiscated his computer. And Anthony made sure to delete anything incriminating in it before handing it over. I guess he wasn't aware that there are smart computer people out there who can recover deleted files. And plenty of recovered emails indicated he was not as innocent as he said he was. Oops number two. In another win for the prosecution team, they actually managed to get both of Anthony's ex-lovers to show up and testify against him, and one of the ex-lovers, Belinda, stated that Anthony had made remarks about how he would be rich if only his wife was dead. Oops, number three. As for Z, his story was basically the same as the one he told the police. He felt he was forced to act, not because he wanted to. It was said that Anthony preyed on Z's need to feel important by constantly comparing him to the older boys. Z was the youngest out of the group, and Anthony supposedly used that against him. It's not great, but also not uncommon for young people to want to prove to others, especially the older kids, that they're useful or tough. They want to impress, and I get that. But there definitely should be a limit to that. Anthony's defense lawyers really grilled Z on the stand, asking him why he didn't walk away, why would he do it if he knew it was wrong? Basically trying to paint him as a deranged monster. The defense team also accused Z of fabricating the entire story, saying that Z willingly and happily murdered Annie, and that Anthony was not only innocent, he was also a victim. I suppose this isn't entirely impossible. But at the same time, what did 15-year-old Z have to gain from killing Annie if it wasn't a contract killing? Someone he had zero ties with. Would he get fame? The trial ended around December, and the judge finally gave out the verdict and sentencing. As for Anthony, the judge called BS on his um, innocent crap. Anthony had enough motive to want his wife dead which included financial gain and custody of his child. The judge stated that Anthony couldn't get Gavin to agree to his request, so he instead went after the youngest boy, hoping to get him to agree, which he did. In the judge's professional opinion, Anthony was manipulative and very good at pretending to be a victim. He was found very guilty for soliciting and abetting and was sentenced to death. As for Z. The judge seemed to believe most of what he said about Anthony manipulating him and pressuring him to no end. The judge also took into consideration the fact that Z was only 15, a very impressionable and gullible age. He found Z to be naive, and being that young, he is more likely to be persuaded, especially when he was promised a good amount of money and respect from adults. In the judge's own words, Z was, quote, A rather simple-minded and mild-mannered boy ensnared haplessly, way out of season in adult intrigue and machinations, Z was a minor at the time, and if he were of age, he very likely would have received the death sentence as well. Instead, he was sentenced to an indefinite prison term under the president's pleasure. This term basically means getting prison time due to being underage or not sound of mind or whatever, and the prison term could end whenever the government felt like ending it. It sucks because you can't even count down the days and years to freedom. Anthony's team, of course, tried to appeal his sentence, and it was rejected pretty quickly. They also tried to plead to have his sentence reduced to life imprisonment, but that was also rejected. Anthony really tried to have it all, and instead, it got him death. He was hanged in December of 2002, only about a year after his sentence was handed out. Singapore law is no joking matter. Z, on the other hand, got a second chance at life. He did everything he could to turn his life around, studied very diligently while in prison, finished all his high school courses, enrolled in university classes, and graduated successfully. He was also a model prisoner. Other prisoners liked him. And he also spent a lot of time thinking about his actions and working on becoming a better person. I personally feel like Z may have grown up to be a totally normal person if he had not met Anthony. Z felt a lot of remorse, felt terrible for letting his friends and family down, and of course, for taking away an innocent life. Z's lawyers have continuously tried to have him released. And finally, in 2018, President Halima Yaqob, under the advice of the cabinet, gave 32-year-old Z his freedom back. He was released after nearly 18 years of prison time served. Of course, that came with various conditions, such as constant electronic monitoring, attending rehabilitative programs, etc. Z's name was never revealed to the public, even as an adult. Since he was a minor and was granted a second chance at life, revealing his name would only hold him back in the future. What are your thoughts on the different outcomes for Anthony and Z? Do you find them fair? Or would you have preferred another outcome for them? So that's pretty much the case of Anthony and Annie. But of course, there are several other things I would like to mention. First of all, we have to talk about how strange Anthony was. And not just the parts I already mentioned. Remember the case of the cyanide coffee murder with Jessica Wongso? She was super smiley, acting like she was some kind of celebrity, even when she was under arrest for murder. Anthony was like that as well. Even his own lawyer was weirded out by that. If you're curious, I will be uploading the episode show notes soon and you'll see a compilation of Anthony's greatest hits. Secondly, let's take a quick look at Annie's family and how they ended up. Annie's mother continued living in the same apartment complex. She never left, maybe because it held a lot of sentimental value to her, even if her daughter was murdered right there. She also stated that she no longer felt anger or resentment towards her daughter's murderer. It's true that holding on to negative emotions won't bring Annie back, but I also feel like it would be understandable if she continued to feel some sort of way. Honestly, whatever helps her feel better, I'm all for it. As for Evelyn, she was under the care of a grandmother after both her parents died, and it seems like she grew up, went to college, and is living a normal life. Anthony's defense lawyer, Subhas Anandan, ended up writing a book which included his thoughts on Anthony's case Mentioning how Anthony basically smiled his way through his trial and sentencing. Creepy. So there you have it. The murder of Annie Leong, a woman who tried so hard to be a good wife, but only ended up murdered because her husband was an asshole. Because she was so young when they started dating, I do kind of wonder if she was sort of duped into this marriage, or what some people might say is grooming. She probably didn't know better went along with his life plans, helped him with money, and all that. Probably felt that this was what marriage meant, standing by each other in sickness and in health, through thick and thin. In the end, he only cared about himself and, of course, money. I do believe he loved his daughter, but that kind of love was definitely messed up. Maybe seeing his daughter was an ego boost to himself. Maybe he saw a reflection of himself. If he truly loved his daughter, would he really want to take her mother away from her? Anthony definitely had issues, ranging from his horrible handle on finances, his infidelity, and of course, to murdering his wife. Z is now in his 30s, and unlike Anthony, he has a chance to live a normal-ish life. It seems like he's been laying low and not getting into trouble, so that's good. Sometimes we just never really know who we married until it's too late. And that's terrifying. Again, marriage can be cool and all. But I do believe it's better to be healthy and single than to be married to someone like Anthony. Just my opinion. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Please stay safe. The world can be a very scary place. Till next time. Before I go, I'd like to thank Crime Addiction from the US, Mark Louie from the Philippines for their wonderful reviews. Very kind words. Thank you. I would also like to thank Marlon Hurst for his very generous PayPal donation. Every cent makes a difference. Thanks for the encouragement. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at AsianMadnessPod@gmail.com. at gmail.com.